Greetings and salutations, everyone, and welcome to The Unfranchised. For those new to the program, this is a podcast where we pick an original, non-franchise film that we've watched recently, something that's fairly new. Uh, We talk about that movie, the cast, the director, and then we see where the conversation takes us from there. My name is Robert Taylor, and I write about film at cultspark.com. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and colleague, Stuart Smith. In this episode, as promised at least twice now, we are finally going to be talking about Shadow, the 2018 Chinese martial arts film from Jiang Yimou that's currently streaming on Netflix. But in addition to that movie, we're also going to be talking about Chinese films, Asian films, wuxia films, and our experiences with filmmaking in general from that side of the world. And that's why I'm pretty much going to be letting Stu take over here in a minute, as he is far more well-versed in Asian cinema than I am. Uh, <laughs> would, would that be fair to say, Stu? I mean, I suppose so, but I, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression that I'm some kind of scholar. Or whatever. You're an expert. You're the expert here, Stu. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> so <laughs> before I set you loose, I wanted to go over some basics here. Because we make this podcast for people like us who consider themselves to be, you know, cinephiles or big time movie fans. And they may be well versed in Asian cinema or they may not be, depending on where their interests lie. So some of you listening may be ahead of us when it comes to this stuff. Some of you may be behind us, behind Stu. (laughs) But we're going to do our best to come at cinema from this part of the world from our own perspectives. I'll I'll say this. It seems like every handful of years, there's some Asian film that breaks through into the national consciousness here in America. It was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in 2000, or Hero, which was also from Yamo in 2002. And that really might have only happened because Tarantino talked the Weinsteins into releasing it. Uh, Both of those films are Chinese films, although Ang Lee, who directed Crouching Tiger, is from Taiwan, if you want to make that distinction. And then, of course, last year we had Parasite from South Korean director Bong Joon-ho, which broke through and won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. And, and you can put all of this stuff under Asian cinema. Chinese films, Hong Kong films, South Korean films, Japanese films. But then they themselves can be very different. And certain styles can be specific to the country those films came from. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there, There is a world of difference between... You know, Chinese films and Japanese cinema and, you know, Taiwanese, Indonesian, uh, Indian, especially. My goodness. Right. And then, then, and then everybody's working under different parameters. For example, Chinese filmmakers have to deal with state censorship in a way that filmmakers from some of those other countries don't. Oh, absolutely. So even though it's all under Asian cinema, they're playing by different roles. So my experience with Asian cinema is here's where I'm at, Stu. I, I've seen those big ones that kind of cross over, of course. I'm somewhat well-versed in Japanese anime and like the Kurosawa samurai films. Uh, I've seen a good bit of Jackie Chan stuff. But past that, it's kind of a gaping hole for me. I haven't seen a lot of Chinese films. I haven't seen a lot of South Korean films. I've seen like, and this can get tricky, but like I've seen most of Bruce Lee's stuff, but he was pretty well, much, that was, that's American. He was pretty well, much making American Hollywood Kung Fu movies. I uh, mean, well, kind well, of well, it, Warner Brothers, that, that, Warner Brothers made Enter the Dragon, right? I think. Right. Warner Brothers made Enter the Dragon, but he also made a couple other movies before that. Like he made, uh, the big boss, um, which was actually, uh, 
that was kind of like his breakout film. But then you had uh, Fist of I can't I'm trying to remember if Fist of Fury came before or let's see Big Boss was seventy one. When did when did Fist of Fury come out? Yeah, uh, Warner Brothers is is who distributed um, Enter the Dragon. But in 71, you had uh, The Big Boss, which was arguably his kind of big breakout uh, Chinese film. And then you had uh, Fist of Fury, um, which was eventually remade as Fist of Legend with Jet Li. Um, you know, so he, he definitely had several, Chi- you know, actual Chinese films before he really, you know, kind of turned into that iconic superstar with enter the dragon and you know everything else that he did sure but then again it's just i'm just showing it gets tricky classifying because then right, you're getting sure. into american asian co-productions right. and you know what are we counting um i'll catch other stuff here and there i watched the first it man with donnie yen not too long ago he's from hong kong but then you like get like embarrassingly i've only seen john woo's american films which i'll admit oh, it's, okay. it's disgraceful what? but i've only seen it i mean, what <laughs> this is already off to a disaster start. Good job, Bob. But, yeah, um, yes. so yes, that's... How, how have you never seen Hard Boiling or The Killer? I don't know. Look, it, I, I understand it. It's actually, and I'm actually going to get into that a little bit, you know, once we kind of get going a little bit further. And then, you know, like, for, like, Yamo, like, I've, I've now watched Shadow, which, we again, we will be talking about later in this episode, and I've seen Hero, but that's it. I've never seen House of the Flying Daggers, which I think is probably his other most notable film. Oh, yeah. Well, as far as notable in terms like to American audiences, yeah. just because yeah. that was definitely one of those that, that came out here specifically because Crouching Tiger was, you know, was what it was, you know, the awards darling and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we definitely wouldn't have gotten Hero or House of Flying Daggers in America if, you know, Crouching Tiger hadn't blazed, blazed that particular trail. And then, of course, I mean, we're aware of the influences like, you know, the we don't have the Matrix without Asian cinema. We don't have John. No, we don't no. have John Wick without Asian cinema. Uh, no, not at all. So but it's just so my question starts to before we get to shadow as someone who's seen a lot more of the stuff than I have. What do you love about Asian cinema? What films from over there are on your Mount Rushmore? And, you know, if you're if you're talking to me or someone who's even seen far less than me, where are you telling them to start? Oh man, that's and I to... give you the floor, sir. <laughs> where to start is God. That's such a loaded question. Um, it's like where do you start with American films? I mean, it, you you can't really you know shoehorn this into one type of film because I mean you know just just to kind of narrow it down, you know Chinese cinema. Uh, is so diverse. I mean, they have, I mean, they have every kind of genre you can think of. Um, you know, it's not just Jackie Chan films or, you know, operatic, uh, Zhang Yimou, uh, type stuff. I mean, Chinese cinema is just, I mean, it's every bit as, as rich and complex and, uh, you know, and layered as, as, you know, any other <clears throat> element of world cinema. Uh, so my suggestion is, you know, find a genre that you like and then, you know, just start looking for directors and, and films and material that, that go along with whatever you're interested in. Um, you will find a, a treasure trove of material for that. But, you know, just for the sake of, 
familiarity. Let's go with, uh, uh, you know, martial arts films. I mean, there are so many eras of, of martial arts films coming out of, you know, China, specifically coming out of Hong Kong. Uh, you really can't do better, I think, than starting off with classic Shaw Brothers produced films. You know, when people think of, you know, like classic Kung Fu movies, um, chances are they've got the vision of something either Bruce Lee in their head, uh, Jackie Chan or a Shaw Brothers uh, film. And the Shaw Brothers films. So what decade, what decade are they working? So the Shaw Brothers were probably the most prominent. They were probably the most prominent in like the, you know, probably throughout the sixties and the early seventies. Uh, and that's when you got stuff like, uh, 36 Chamber of Shaolin, uh, One Armed Swordsman, uh, Five Deadly Venoms, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the movies that, that you see, uh, heavily influenced and, and referenced in like the Kill Bill movies, um, stuff like that. Um, but the Shaw, the Shaw it was, and are this, it was Sha- is this China or Hong Kong? Where, where it's, are these it's, originating from? It's, it's in Hong Kong okay. and, uh, Shaw Brothers, uh, I mean, they were, they were the largest single production company in Hong Kong from like 1925 until the, until like 2011, I think, something like that. I mean, they were huge and they did everything. I mean, they had, you know, they, they are, you know, most, I think, justifiably known for, uh, you know, for their, their martial arts films. But I mean, they did, I mean, they did all kinds of stuff. Uh, but it's it's definitely there, you know. If you want to if you want to truly see some you know, cl- classic iconic uh, Chinese martial arts films, you know, go dig up uh, Thirty Six Chamber of Shaolin, Five Deadly Venoms. Those are probably, if I had to pick two movies that best exemplify, you know, what a Shaw Brothers martial arts film was. And, you know, and what made them so unique and interesting and, and especially so much fun, uh, it would definitely be those two. Okay. Um, and, and part of, part of what makes Shaw Brothers so great is the artifice. Uh, when you look at a Shaw Brothers film, I mean, everything was filmed on the back lot, you know, on sound stages, uh, and it looks that way. I mean, there is absolutely no mistaking, you know, some of these, some of these soundstage sets or, you know, the backlot sets, but they're wonderful. They had, they just, they have so much personality and there, there was such a, I feel distinct look and aesthetic to what, to, you know, to, to what the production designers put together. I mean, obviously, I mean, they reused a ton of, uh, of sets and, and, and stuff like that, but, um, I don't know. There, there's just, there is, there is a, there is a joy in that artifice that I found from watching a lot of those that you just, you don't get that look or feel from really any other era of, of world cinema. Uh, there, there's just something very unique to, um, to what those, those Shaw brothers films, especially from, you know, the, the sixties and seventies uh, looked and felt like can't recommend it enough, you know, especially if you, really like getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, production design and set design and things like that. There's just something really special about the way those looked, even if I think a lot of people might just kind of, Oh, look, just looks like a really fake set. You know, you can see the backdrops. Who cares? 
You know, these things are bursting with personality. Now, could we trace Shadow and the Jang Yimou films back to those, or would their family tree kind of go somewhere different? No, I think you absolutely could, especially especially Shadow, because uh, Shadow is so limited um, in its locations. I mean, in a, in a way, this is where you kind of get um, this mixture of, you know, this this Shakespearean interpersonal, you know, very interpersonal drama. Uh, you know, mixed with the, the crazier, um, you know, borderline wuxia style, uh, you know, action and, and uh, you know, cinematography and stuff like that, that, uh, that comes later in the film. But, you know, very much the first half of this movie is, is contained to just a handful of locations that have a very, very tactile feel. But, um, you know, the, the hidden cave within the palace, uh, I mean, that has absolutely, you know, you can you can definitely feel the Shaw brothers, um, you know, kind of lineage coming up uh, in that location, especially. I mean, that that one really just really feels like it uh, like it, it, it comes from that same sort of, of love and mindset. So we can talk about Wuxia films a little bit since you mentioned that. And that is sort of a specific genre of films that typically come out of China or Asia. Correct. Right. I mean, these Wuxia films are, I mean, you could really almost kind of classify Wuxia films as China's own, you know, comic book films in a way. I always think uh, of them as they're like fantasy martial art romances. Yeah. <laughs> Does I mean, that sound right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's true. But I mean, like the, the, the word Wuxia, Wu, literally means, you know, martial or armed. And the Shah is, you know, chivalrous vigilante hero, you know, so it's, it's, Wuxia is literally about these big heroic, uh, fighters, you know, who, who do heroic chivalrous things and, you know, they have fights and go on, you know, these adventures and it's, you know, it's, it's They're usually not... set in the past, correct? Right. They're and it's usually, almost they're sort usually, of a fantastical you know, per, yeah, they're version usually of the past. Period pieces and the, the main characters are, you know, because they deal with, you know, you know, with those periods, you know, you don't have the characters typically kind of either shun, uh, you know, aristocratic, you know, class history or, you know, military power, that kind of a thing. Um, you know, they're not typically, you know, a lord or, or a, you know, a king or anything like that. They're just, you know, they're a wandering swordsman, you know, uh, slave to no man, that kind of a thing. Which, again, it kind of parallels comic book heroes a little bit. You know, you, Spider-Man just kind of goes off and does his own thing. You know, he's he's battling the powers that be. And, and, we, bring, and, and we bring this up because Shadow is definitely going to qualify under this genre, right? I think, yeah, I, or, or, or it, in part, it's also part palace intrigue. We'll get into that later, but right. But, and so, you know, I, th I think one thing that one of the defining characteristics of a lot of Wuxia films is that they uh, are not grounded in reality a lot of the times, at least in terms of the way that characters move and fight. You know, when you which see, would be something like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Right, exactly. Crouching Tiger and Dragon, uh, you know, hero where they're, you know, bouncing around, you know, lake, <laughs> the surface of lakes right. using their swords and, you know, all essentially flying, you know, things like that. I mean, they're not bound by physics. It's more fantastical. 
Um, and Shadow has a it little bit of a that. A little bit. It's 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 very it's it's not dominant at all uh, in the way that you would see in a lot of other uh, you know well-known wuxia films. So, but it's it's definitely there. It's 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 in fact it's not really even as prominent as in uh, Fearless, the Jet Li film, which is one of his more minor wuxia films. But it is, but it is definitely there. You know, I I think you could, it's on the far, far, far more moderate end of the spectrum. But it, it wouldn't be completely inaccurate to define Shadow as a wuxia film. Okay, so let me ask you this: I I did mention I have seen some Kurosawa stuff. I really love it. Are you? Do you prefer Japanese to Chinese cinema, or the other way? Or I wouldn't. I. <sighs> I wouldn't say that I prefer it because it's because almost those that those are notable films. I mean, a lot of people right. when they think sort of older Asian films, they're thinking Seven Samurai. Right. Uh, with you know, and with good reason because I mean, you know, Seven Samurai is iconic. Kurosawa is rightly considered one of the greatest directors of all time. I mean, Seven Samurai is one of my absolute favorite films of all time. I own a bunch of Kurosawa films. I own a, you know quite a few samurai films. Uh, you know, I love classic black and white Japanese cinema, but they're also, they're not really comparable. I mean, other than they, uh, you know, other than they're both technically Asian cinema. It goes back to what we talked about is that even though we can classify all the stuff under Asian cinema and a lot of people do, right. it, it can end up being very different. It, it really is. I mean, there's, uh, you know, I mean, you have some stuff. I mean, Kurosawa himself obviously did several, you know, period films, uh, you know, in various, you know, eras of, of, of the, of the country. Um, you know, plenty of epics that he did. I mean, the film Ron, which is, you know, his adaptation of King Lear is, I mean, just, I mean, it's epic almost doesn't even begin to describe the the scale of that film. I mean, it's just absolutely massive. Um, but the way that he frames everything, the, the, the feel and the tone is, you know, totally different than, than something, you know, comparable that you might find in, in Chinese cinema. So if someone's listening and said, yeah, I've seen seven samurai, I've seen Yojimbo, whatever, but I'm interested in this wuxia stuff. Is there any of that Chinese wuxia specifically you could recommend? Um, I mean, honestly, the, the, probably the single best wuxia film that you could start with, we've talked about it a lot, but with good reason, I mean, it's, is Hero. Which I've seen, Um, which is amazing. (laughs) But Hero, Hero is great because it's got a great, simple story, um, elegantly told. Uh, the visuals are just still just stunning to this day. Um, um, you, you might almost, <laughs> I almost don't want to recommend it because it's like, that's such a high bar for anything else to, to cross. Um, but you know, it's just, it's, it's a great movie. It's got great fights. You know, it, yeah, I cannot recommend it enough. It's, it's Hero's fantastic. And it's, it's interesting because again, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I, uh, the story of that movie is that Tarantino was a big fan and basically asked the Weinsteins to bring it, to release it in the U.S. And I think riding the coattails of Crouching Tiger a little bit, which had been a big success, they brought it over and it did okay. It yeah. did pretty well. I, I think I like, like, I, I 
you know, not to pit two movies against each other, but I think if forced, I would, I would definitely pick Crouching Tiger as my preferred film over Hero. Okay. Um, just cause I mean, and that, that's just one of the most beautiful films ever made. It's poetic. It's gorgeous. Uh, you know, the, the, the fight choreography is phenomenal. The Yo-Yo Ma score is just, I still listen to that score. I, I watched that movie 20 years ago and I still listen to it. And it just, it moves me every time I listen to it. If you want to, like, if you want to go back even further and like really kind of see more of the origins of, especially of something like Crouching Tiger, uh, watch the films of King Hugh. Uh, King Hugh is who directed, um, uh, well, I mean, directed a ton of stuff, but probably two of his most notable films, uh, are Come Drink With Me, uh, which if you watch Crouching Tiger and Dragon and then Come Drink With Me or Come Drink With Me or vice versa, uh, you will absolutely see, I mean, in some ways Crouching Tiger is almost kind of a remake of Come Drink With Me. Um, it, the, it, the look of the sets, a lot of the story, uh, is very, very similar. And in fact, the, uh, the main character of the film, um, actually plays Jade Fox in Crouching Tiger. So, I mean, there's just, you know, Ang Lee clearly was just a huge fan of that movie, uh, as he was making, you know, from a long time ago. And it, it, Crouching Tiger is his love letter to that film, obviously. You just put on a clinic, Stu. I love it. Although I, also, I do think it's kind of funny, like, I'm the one, you know, introducing this and saying, I'm kind of lame. I've only seen Crouching Tiger and Hero. But then we're kind of saying, well, if you need some place to start, probably watch Crouching well, Tiger and Hero. It, it, I guess there's is, a reason they crossed over. And Well, you know. there, there's a reason they crossed over. But also, I mean, for one, it's I don't want to be one of those people who's like, oh, you know, why, you know, there is no reason why people shouldn't watch and enjoy older films. But, you know, I mean, older films are not modern films. That seems like a silly thing to say because obviously, but you know, there is just a, especially in a lot of older Asian cinema, there's just, it, it might not be appealing to people who only watch, you know, contemporary stuff. It might, it might seem kind of lame, uh, yeah. because, you know, because the fight choreography, I mean, they were literally just making this stuff. They were creating entire genres. They were making this stuff as they go. And you know what the other uh, thing is? I, I can't imagine this would apply to anyone bothering to listen to our show, but you're already asking people to watch the foreign language film. So, you know, to add on top of that, you know, something that seems just ridiculously outdated right. might, might turn some people off. No, I will say that, you know, I, I think that Come Drink With Me still holds up, just even on its own. Uh, 36 Chamber of Shaolin, I will hold that up against almost anything. It's still great. But, yeah, I mean, th- th- that's just kind of one of the things that you have to acknowledge is that, you know, I mean, like any kind of early American action film, they're making it up as they go. I mean, they are blazing new trails uh, with this stuff, doing doing things in film that nobody had ever done before, um, you know. So it, you're definitely going to have that sense as as you watch these, is that it's you know it's it's a little rough, it's unrefined, but um, but the history is there. So if you really want to dig into it, uh, but I you know but I recommend Crouching Tiger or Hero or, or you know newer stuff like that because if for no other reason, you can find it easily. You know a lot of this stuff is not easily accessible, uh, especially which, if you, which is um, too bad. 
It is too bad, but I mean, like uh, King Hughes Dragon Inn got a Criterion release, you know, so it's available that way. Um, you know, there are various ways to watch a lot of the Shaw Brothers stuff, uh, but it's not like you can just fire up Netflix or Amazon Prime Instant yeah. uh, and always watch those. Although, I mean, you know, every now and then a lot of Shaw Brothers stuff will pop up on Amazon Prime Instant. Uh, you know, so you just you, you do have to do a little bit of digging. But, you know, if you do want to get a taste of this sort of thing, uh, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hero, uh, you know, various Wong Kar Wai, Wong Kar Wai films, uh, you know, you can find those, you know, for rental. Um, you know, m- most of John Woo's uh, Chinese output you can find fairly easily, uh, you know, just doing like the, the digital rental path. But. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it, it can be a little bit challenging, uh, you know, trying to find legal ways to watch all of this stuff. So, I guess that brings us to the movie we're here to talk about, Shadow, which you can Actually, watch. No, hang on, hang on. If, right. if, if, if I, and before we move on, I just, I would be remiss if I didn't make at least a couple other recommendations, you know, for people wanting to, to, to dive headfirst into, to, um, Chinese cinema. Um, I have recently fallen in love with uh, the films of Wong Kar Wai. Uh, he did a, uh, you know, everybody, everybody seems to really like, and rightly so, the, the Donnie Yen Ip Man films. Uh, well, Wong Kar Wai uh, did his own adaptation of the life of, of Ip Man uh, with Tony Leung uh, called The Grandmaster, which came out a few years ago and was sadly, uh, you know, bastardized by uh, Harvey Weinstein. Uh, but even with that, even with the, the limited cut that Weinstein put out, it's, it, oh my God, it's a gorgeous film. It is an absolutely gorgeous film with some fantastic fight scenes in it. Uh, but just a, a great love story in the way that only Y really seems to be able to do. Um, and in the mood for love. Uh, I mean, that honestly may be a new top 10 movie for me. Um, if you look up the word smoldering in the dictionary, you will find stills of this movie because it is, there is a minimal amount of dialogue. So much of this movie is just, you know, these lingering, uh, up shots of the two actors who are the two, you know, the two lead characters who are, they're in love, but they can't say it. And they, you know, they know that their, their life situations will not allow them, you know, to requite this love. And it's just, it is so achingly gorgeous. Uh, every single frame of it. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Absolutely cannot recommend that movie enough. Um, yeah. So those are two of my recommendations, you know, go watch the killer, go watch hard boiled, you know, for John Woo, I mean, you can find all kinds of Jackie Chan stuff. Um, although I do, I like, you know, a lot of his earlier stuff better than a lot of his later stuff. But, um, you know, Pete Jackie Chan might be Drunken Master too, <laughs> a, a legend of Drunken Master. I was just going to say Drunken Master as opposed to Shanghai Nights or something. <laughs> yeah. Although I like Shanghai Nights, is there anything wrong with that? No. No, I mean, Don't look, I, I I enjoyed Shanghai Noon. It's it's a it's a fun movie. Which you one know, was I mean, first? Was Noon first or Nights first? Noon was noon, first. Okay, Noon, noon was, is the better one. I actually don't like Shanghai Nights that much. I like the Western one, Noon. Yeah, yeah. Shanghai. Yeah, Shanghai Noon is fun. I mean, you know, if you want an easy gateway for people, like, hey, if you think this is cool, come check this out, and then put in Legend of Drunken Master and just blow their mind. Okay, well, you've certainly given 
people, given our listeners, a lot of things to add to their watch list. So thank you for that, Stu. I do what I can. We do specifically have a movie to talk about tonight. We do. That film is Shadow. It is streaming right now on Netflix. It is from Chinese director Jiang Yimo, who made Hero. This is Yimo returning to his native language after The Great Wall, a joint Chinese-American production that starred Matt Damon, crashed and burned at the box office a few years ago. Have, you seen, have you seen that one, Stu? I really liked it. I had a ton of fun with it. It's stupid. It's really dumb, but I like that's kind of the point. I mean, this is this is Yimo doing a big flashy, you know, this is him doing a comic book movie essentially. I haven't seen um, it. I know it kind of got buried under the sort of great white savior Matt Damon narrative, which it's not. It's really not that. I mean, it kind of is, but it's not overwhelmingly that in a way that I think it deserved. He does, I mean, he is the lead character, but, I mean, there are plenty of other characters, uh, China, and Chinese characters especially, who just completely show him up. I I think it deserves more of a fair shake than I think a lot of people were willing to give it. And I, you know, I kind of get it because it's like, really? You're going to just, you're going to put, you know, you know, white bread Damon amid this? Really? Why? Uh, but it's, but is, it, is, it, is Matt Damon literally on the Great Wall at one point? Well, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, they're they're fighting off hordes of, of you know, flesh-eating monsters. Okay. Um, and, you know, most of the, the, the Chinese characters are wearing Power Rangers-esque <laughs> color-coded right. outfits. It's, it's, it is an incredibly silly movie, but it's colorful, it's fun, the action scenes are fantastic. Uh, I, I think it deserves, you know, people giving it a fair shake. Okay, so regardless, it didn't do well here. Uh, Yamo sort of returned to his, you know, native Chinese language cinema, came back with Shadow, a wuxia film somewhat more in common with his more notable earlier films. Uh, Stu, this was your pick. Again, we've talked about doing it a couple episodes. Uh, since it's, it's not a Netflix original, but it is streaming on Netflix. Since I'm trying to get caught up on some Asian cinema, and since I haven't seen any other Yamo films except for Hero, I was excited to do it. If you are listening, there are going to be no spoilers in this episode. We should probably said this up front. Even if you haven't seen Shadow and you've enjoyed the conversation so far, we're not going to spoil anything. Feel free to listen to the rest of the show. Shadow is a historical drama set in sort of the early Three Kingdoms era, China. That's sort of such a, like, I want to say romanceful, but I don't think that's a real word. It's it, it's a sweeping time period filled with, you know, lots of political upheaval and... Uh, you know, it, there's a reason why so many movies of this sort are set in that period, because it's just really fertile ground for you know, to tell all any any number of stories, but especially something like this. OK. And Shadow is about one kingdom's efforts to reclaim a great city that they had lost. That effort largely rests on the kingdom's chief commander, who actually isn't the chief commander at all, but a lookalike who's been trained to serve as the quote unquote shadow of the actual chief commander who was gravely wounded in a previous duel. So that character, the shadow played by Deng Chao, he's the protagonist. And then a bunch of characters sort of revolve around him, including the real commander who's gravely ill and living in a room beneath the palace walls, 
the real commander's wife, who of course may be falling in love with her husband's replacement, the kingdom's king, who's young and inexperienced and all about the status quo and maybe a little bit cowardly, and the king's sister, who's much fiercer and committed to restoring the kingdom's former glory. They all get swept up in this series of events that eventually allows the movie to turn into a wuxia martial arts film, something that you're probably expecting as we talk about this stuff, but isn't really what the movie is in the kind of boring first 15, 20 minutes. I got to tell you, Stu, I almost tapped out of this movie about 15, 20 minutes in, and I'm glad I did. It's, it, it is a very slow burn, and I think a lot of it depends on your expectations because nobody and i was expecting hero and don't do that right if you if you you know if you watch the trailer for this you're not expecting the equivalent of you know the the chinese period equivalent of a chamber drama which is more or less what it is i mean it's it is a you know it's politically based it's you know it's about interpersonal conflicts and you know these relationship clashes you know, it's all about the, you know, King essentially selling off his sister to try and make peace and, uh, you know, and all this kind of stuff is, you the know, as well as the drama. The first third has a lot of palace intrigue and not, yeah. not really any martial arts. I, I mean, you don't really get, I mean, you kind of get a little bit of fighting in the training sequences, but you really don't get any kind of action until almost exactly an hour into the film. But then when it comes, it's pretty great. Yeah, but, the, you know, from the from that, you know, hour mark, almost until the end of, you know, until the credits roll, you know, you've got a pretty steady stream of, uh, you know, swords and arrows and razor umbrellas. and Razor umbrellas, <laughs> which we are going to talk a lot about because God fucking bless razor blade umbrellas. But Oh, man, it's, it's pretty it's pretty great. It's funny um, because I think it kind of turns back into the chamber drama at the end for like the last 15 minutes in those final scenes. It does but, a little bit. But I was so invested in the characters at that point because I really did get swept up in this film in the second half of it that that stuff worked for me at the end, even though it didn't work for me at the beginning. Right. And, you know, and that's why it's there at the beginning. You know, it's, it's an investment, both time and emotionally. And, you know, it needs to be there to set it up so that everything else matters in that second half, which again, kind of sounds like, well, obviously, but you know, it's just know that it is, it's worth the, it's worth the time that you put into it. I think. I think I think it would uh if they could have maybe opened the film with the battle between the actual commander, the original battle that resulted in the city being lost between the actual commander and the other kingdom. I think that might have been a more exciting way to start it. It it kind of has this very basic opening where there there's some text on the screen that basically breaks down the state of China at the time the film set real quick. And then it goes straight into just people talking into a room and you're not even really sure who these people are for like 15 minutes straight. It's, it's, it's very odd. It, it's very odd. And it almost feels like this part was adapted from a play, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, it's very location bound. It's in a way it almost feels very stage bound. Like you can, you can see very easily how if they wanted to just do this part, you know, in a theater, they could, do it pretty easily, you know, because it really only ever really focuses on just a couple characters at a time. 
um, and as it moves from one very static location to another. Um, so yeah, it, it, it does, it's a little disorienting, um, because it does drop you in with very little context or even pretext, I guess, in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I, 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 I would agree with that for the most part that, you know, even, even if they had just kind of like had, you know, portions of that fight, like showed it in montage or something like that, uh, you know, just something to kind of give it a, uh, a little bit more of a kick, you know, as things kind of got into gear, but yeah, it's, it's definitely something that you have to kind of be ready for it to, to hit the ground running, uh, or walking, I guess this is pretty slow. So, um, but I mean, I, I stuck with it because I had to, because we were recording a podcast, right. but, and then it gets really good. We start, we, you know, the, the reason the film is, is titled shadow is unveiled and we figure out our protagonist is not who we thought he was and not who everyone else in the movie thinks he is. And I started to get sucked into the story a little bit. And then the razor umbrellas and the martial arts stuff comes and it's really exciting, gorgeously shot stuff once it arrives. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, thankfully the, you know, the strength of the writing and I think the acting too, um, really helps to, to carry this past any kind of concerns that I had about pace and, uh, and, and whatnot in the early goings. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it is, I use this term before, but it really does feel Shakespearean in, you know, in the way that it uses the whole idea of, of, of dual identities and, uh, you know, just the, the political maneuverings and things like that. It's, it's all expertly weaved together. I mean, you know, one, one aspect never really over, over, <laughs> overshadows. Uh, I, I, see what, <laughs> I see what you did there, Stu. Uh-huh. Yeah. I see what I did. Uh, you know, you, you get, uh, you know, the, the smoldering kind of, you know, have they really fallen in love aspect of, you know, the relationship between madam and, and, um, and Zhang Zhou, uh, the, the shadow, which um, I and, loved that. I actually love the relationship between those two. Uh, yeah, it's really know, well done. I got really sucked into that. I would say it could have stood to be, it could have stood to have been a little hotter, but that might be a sensor ship thing in china i don't know how much they're allowed to show in chinese films i, I don't know that um, it was i don't think um, it's a, censor, a censorship thing um, so much as just it's very there's there's yeah there's this forbidden love subplot that's really well done but it's also very pg yeah that's about the only thing that's pg in the movie though. <laughs> yeah right I, it's actually it's almost disconcerting because the whole movie like the, like for half of the movie even when they're in the tr- to the training and stuff it feels very pg and then and then throats start getting slit <laughs> oh my god and it gets it's surprising how much the violence ramps up but the sex never ramps up Stu. just the violence no the sex never does um let's talk about the cinematography because it is a lovely looking movie I, again having only seen hero i was expecting colors and you don't get colors in this film it's no it's very monochrome i think that's the correct word desaturated it's almost black and white although some color is allowed to slip through the red slip through once the blood starts flowing but it is a very stark looking film because of the way it's designed to look uh yeah i mean stark is is certainly the operative word here um and i mean (laughs) it's the it's not the look of the film isn't really subtle no <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think that that subtle subtlety, both you know, thematically and and otherwise, are, are really were concerns at all, which is fine. 
but it is it is striking and it's, it's really inter- nothing about this movie is subtle anyway. I mean, it's sort of no. a big, broad, hit you in the face with its themes movie. Well, again, I mean, I'm not sure how you can, how you can have a subtle movie with razor umbrellas. <laughs> I, mean, I just don't. I just don't think that that's necessarily possible. But uh, but what, what's striking to me is that you know, even though it is essentially a a monochrome film for all intents and purposes, uh, it never becomes you know visually boring in a way that you might kind of expect especially you know on something that clearly used a lot of digital sets um in in various places uh you know i've found that like you know black and white photography on you know on digital stuff can tend to just you really start to feel the artifice more uh than you might otherwise but it's it's, it it just it never stops looking striking with every single frame it's pretty unique offhand i can't think of another movie to compare it to but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a black and white film but at the same time you're always aware you're watching something that's not a straight one-to-one of real life it always feels a little otherworldly because the way color is so sparingly used um you know the the reality of the film is is always heightened but it never feels like it it goes into straight fantasy or even you know even kind of the quasi fantasy of something like hero which feels very dreamlike um a lot of the time and and there is there is a this is more ethereal i guess would be the the better descriptive word here it's something that's just kind of like teetering on the edge of being dreamlike um it is very clear but it also feels somewhat hazy uh in a way like you're just like you're like it's someone describing uh a dream to you almost you know it's like there's detail and yet there's not if that makes any kind of sense so Stu, i came out of this movie struggling with deciding which thing i wanted to purchase more a razor umbrella or a zither <laughs> did i want a zither more or did i want a razor umbrella more well, I don't know. Where do, do you have you... another zith? Do, I, no. do you have a second zither at I, I, home? I do so not. That you I, and your... <laughs> I currently because... do not. I currently do not own a zither or a razor umbrella. So what you're saying, if I were to go for the zither, I'd probably have to buy two. Well, you'd have to buy two because one of the best moments of this movie is when, you know, this husband and wife are essentially arguing with each other via zither playing. Yes. Which is this sounds ridiculous, but is a hundred. Which sounds ridiculous. Which is a hundred percent accurate. It is but, this yeah. very tense exchange, and they don't say a word, but you know, you feel exactly what is going on between them as they are just, you know, angrily playing these otherwise very beautiful uh, <laughs> Chinese instruments. It's it's a, and, and it's and that's you know intercut in between you know this very harsh graphic violence too uh it's it's a striking sequence however however on the other end we have razor umbrellas i think i think you might find a bit more utility out of a razor umbrella so the razor umbrellas are umbrellas that that you fold up fold out like an umbrella but instead of like some sort of cloth wrapping it's razor sharp deadly razors like blades like mini knives which can also be sort of shot out from the umbrellas as projectiles. And since they're umbrellas, they can also be used as shields, used as sort of a defensive weapon. And let me tell you, Stu, I mean, there's a reason 
there's a reason lightsabers are, are iconic. Anytime you can sort of debut a new original weapon in a film. And I, I you know, maybe Razor Umbrellas are out there in other movies. I've never seen them before. This, this was something I was thinking about. Like, that's something I haven't seen before. I didn't know I needed Razor Umbrellas in my action films. <laughs> but Shadow delivered. Well, it's it's interesting because like when I I had just kind of read a blip about the movie, it's like oh they fight with umbrellas and thinking oh okay cool they have like you know swords hidden in the hilt of the umbrella that no. you know I've seen no, it sir. before that's neat nope no it is not that that's at all the, that's it is... the penguin we're not talking about the penguin it's right <laughs> I mean this is this is straight up I mean it it sounds utterly stupid. But then when you see them actually using it, you're like, okay, that is incredible. I want one. I want one of these in every single martial arts film. And again, it's pulled off choreography, editing, (laughs) cinematography. You know, these things uh, in real life, it probably would be ludicrous to attempt to use one of these things as a weapon. But the way they shoot the movie, the second half of this movie, when the action starts and things get violent, they really sell these things. And I, I completely bought it. Like the, the proof of the brilliance in execution is, you know, when you've got the, the battalion of, of soldiers sliding down the streets on the razor umbrellas, again, should be really stupid, (laughs) is executed incredibly well. And you're like, that's awesome. It's a weapon. It's a shield. It's a sled. What can it do? Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) Can make julienne fries. So I, I like this movie. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I liked it. Is that fair? Is that where you fell? Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed it. I'm glad that I watched it. I probably, you know, I I can definitely see myself revisiting it, um, you know. But I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm in love with it. But I I can absolutely recommend it uh, we, to we, anybody. Yeah, I was gonna say we always like to do our little section where who are we recommending this movie to? Well, anybody that likes wuxia films, martial arts films, gorgeously yeah, shot say, Chinese language films, films with absolutely bonkers weaponry in them. People who are really into zithers. <laughs> um, I, I I love Hero. I like this movie. If I want to watch another Yumo film, what do I watch next? Do I watch Flying Daggers next? Um, yeah, I would probably say. And sadly, you know, it's like I, even though I am, you know, I have a lot of Chinese film that I am in love with and that I will heartily recommend. Um, it, God, there's so much that I need to catch up on. And there's so much of his, of Yamo's work that I need to, to, to see because apparently like, you know, like the first half of his career is a pretty notable contrast to, uh, his later, you know, the stuff in the, in the latter half, I mean, you know, between hero and, you know, even flying daggers and especially, you know, the great wall and, and, and shadow, uh, a lot of his earlier stuff I really need to get to and need to find a way to watch. Um, but yeah, I would say, yeah, I mean, House of Flying Daggers would, would probably be the, the next logical step for you to, to check out. I'm never going to watch The Great Wall. Never. You will, Bob. I'll make <laughs> I know, you. I'm not going to. I will send you the Blu-ray. <laughs> all right. I think that about covers it. Is there anything else? Stu, thanks for all your knowledge. Thanks. Thanks for dropping the clinic on everyone listening. I learned something. Hopefully the people listening learn something at a bare minimum. If anybody wants to watch, you know, uh, very easily watch, watch a Wuxia film. They don't have to go hunting for shadows on Netflix right now. Anything you wanted to add? Not that I can think of. All right. Well, thanks again, Stu, for joining me. 
Drink your Ovaltine, kids. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. No, don't drink Ovaltine. Oh, it's so gross. <laughs> Why would anyone drink it? It's so bad. That was uh, quite the little journey. <laughs> I do what I can, America. Sleep well. Yeah, we'll end on that note. Sleep well. We'll catch you next time. Bye. The Unfranchised is a film podcast produced by the staff of Cultspark.com and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. If you enjoy our show, please subscribe and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Your support is essential in our ability to highlight smaller films by growing our audience. You can follow our hosts on Twitter at Robert B. Taylor and at StubbyDoo. For updates on The Unfranchised, please follow the show on Twitter at The Unfranchised or follow CultSpark on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at CultSpark. You can email us at theunfranchised at cultspark.com. Visit cultspark.com for print reviews and essays on films in the horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action, and noir genre.